Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Good morning. It is a beautiful crisp fall day here in Los Angeles, but so many people are suffering from depression. (sighs) They're blue, they're sad, and sometimes they reach out to me and I say, have you tried a new way of life that doesn't involve killing? Have you tried a joyous new portal to a more evolved way of going through life? Basically, life is, in their minds, a zero-sum game, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten. But that's all nonsense. That's all primitive, barbaric stuff. We don't have to kill to survive. And once we stop doing that, we literally evolve to a new phase of human evolution. And that's what we're talking about here on Jane Unchained on Voice America Influencers. I am here with Vanessa Shakib, who is an amazing attorney with Advancing Law for Animals, which is a new organization that is using new strategies to advance law for animals. And I am not talking so much about dogs and cats. You know I love dogs and cats. Um, I've got one of our three rescues here, little Rico, our mascot, uh, dogs, and then we have a rescue cat. But most animals are not dogs or cats. Most animals are forgotten, nameless beings who are trapped in warehouses called concentrated animal feeding operations or factory farms where they are raised in institutionalized sadism and then die young at the age of six months. In the case of a lot of pigs, we bear witness at pig slaughterhouses around the world with the SAVE movement. Uh, There was a, a vigil just last night at a slaughterhouse in downtown LA where pigs uh, were brought in. Jane Unchained went live. You can look at that on facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell or janeunchained.com and look at the reality of these beings who have the emotional development of toddler humans uh, marked with this, with like what appears to be spray paint, you know, for death, marked like they're trash. And people who eat bacon think, oh, I don't pay the price for that. I can wear a kindness t shirt or an ahimsa t shirt and walk around and do yoga and talk about how kind I am and how wonderful I am while I'm participating in that, that doesn't count, but it does count. It takes a huge toll. That's the spiritual side. Now, in terms of advancing law for animals so that they are not treated like trash, let's get to the legal side. Vanessa Shakib, we're delighted to have you here. Tell us all about advancing law for animals. Jane, thanks so much for having us today. I'm such a fan of your show and so inspired how you use your platform for animals. Advancing Law for Animals is a legal nonprofit advocacy organization for our non-human friends because let's face it, animals need lawyers. We are a relatively new group, but we are five for five in our victories and we are just getting started. Um, Some cases you'll expect to see from us in the coming year involve novel applications of existing law for the benefit of animals. We're also working on our first legislative initiative, so I'm excited to be 
back later in the year and tell you about those um, those exciting things as they're filed um, and as we pursue them. Um, like I said, we are five for five in our victories, so we are very excited and um, we're hitting it strong. Uh, we appeared on the show before uh, talking about a really exciting victory that we had, uh, which led to four cows being rescued from a slaughterhouse. We don't need to name the slaughterhouse, thank you. And homed at Farm Sanctuary. Um, and now we're back, excited to share with you another legal victory, the case of Caught in the Lamb. Caught in the Lamb is our first victory in our rapid response initiative. Jane, you and I have talked about that a lot. There are emergencies that happen, um, and animals, like people, need immediate relief. So um, with our rapid response initiative, uh, we always try to make ourselves available in emergency situations. Um, so that being said, I'd love to tell you more about the case of Cotton the Lamb. Well, I want to tell you that if I ever disappear, it's because I'm doing social media. I always thank Voice America influencers for letting us get the word out about these issues. Because let me tell you something, mainstream media doesn't talk about this. We literally, in the wake of Hurricane Florence, held a news conference with six organizations in North Carolina saying, considering that three and a half million animals who are just like our dogs and cats drowned in warehouses were left to drown and then called inventory. We feel that this is morally reprehensible. It's a pollution nightmare. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for human health. People in these vicinities of these CAFOs, concentrated animal feeding operations, are getting sick. And we don't want them restocked until there's a massive investigation. I mean, ultimately, we would not like them restocked at all. Uh, we'd like them to transition to plant-based uh Commerce. I mean, there's a tremendous commonality between chicken farming and mushroom farming. The warehouses look almost identical, but instead of packing chickens in there, you pack mushrooms, which are also packed with protein. We held a news conference in Wilmington, North Carolina, in the days after Hurricane Florence. The media came. They videotaped it. They never put it on. It was as if it never happened. Thank you so much. We got that snarky vegan girl coming in for an assist on some tech stuff. Um, but, you know, that's called an oppressive carnist system. That's called a system where you are not getting the truth. Now, you know, everybody's screaming and yelling about fake news. And it's very politicized. But the most fake news is the fact that they don't talk. The mainstream media does not talk about animal agriculture's horrific impact on climate, that it is a leading cause of climate change responsible for more greenhouse gases than all transportation combined. They just don't mention it. It's like it didn't happen. Meanwhile, they're encouraging people to eat turkey and for Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, oh, I just chowed down on wings as if those are their wings to eat or burgers. And, you know, even the most liberal commentators are doing this. It's like they're shills for the meat and dairy industry. Well, look at the commercials on television. Look at the commercials, meat, dairy, pharmaceuticals, the three industries that would collapse if people woke up and evolved and realized, gee, I don't have to eat these dead animals that are giving me cancer because processed meat, which is how a lot of Americans eat meat, is officially cancer-causing. Officially, the World Health Organization has determined it's a carcinogen. So um, it, it's bad for human health, it's bad for the environment, but you won't hear that anywhere, okay? There's a blackout, and that's what we call a carnist system, where the given is you're going to eat meat and just forget about it, keep doing it. 
You know why? Because they're making a lot of money off of you. It's a system predicated on death, the death of the animals, and then the sickness and death of the humans. And that is what we're trying to change. We're trying to get a system that is predicated on nonviolence and non-death. And so uh, we, we work on it in numerous ways, sometimes protesting, a lot of veg fests, great new products coming on the line. But one of the key elements is the law, getting the law to give more legal rights, not just to dogs and cats, but to these forgotten billions of animals that actually pigs have a higher IQ than dogs, pigs, cows, turkeys, chickens, lambs. Um, and in fact, indeed, if you did to this little dog here, what is done routinely to billions of farm animals, so-called farm animals, they're just warehoused animals, you would be arrested and put in jail. So I wanted to ask you, Vanessa, how do we, and we're getting a lot of comments here, which I'll go to, but let me ask you that question. How are we going to get pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, cows, lambs, how are we going to get them some basic rights so they're not castrated without anesthesia, which happens, dehorned without anesthesia, uh, sexually violated, which is how every factory farm animal comes into being. They're all raped. They're not making love in these warehouses, okay? Uh, how are we going to get them some legal protection so they are not subjected to this institutionalized sadism that is just torturing more animals than has ever been tortured on this planet in the history of humankind? Jane, that is a great question. And first, I'd like to discuss a little bit about the problem uh, and the difficulty that we face when we litigate impact cases for animals. You've mentioned that animals are regarded as property, and that poses serious consequences for the kinds of cases that we're able to file. Um, and let me explain to you why with a little bit of Legal 101. Uh, in order for a case to be justiciable, meaning in order for a judge to be able to adjudicate or decide the merits, the party bringing the lawsuit has to have standing. What is standing? Uh, it means the capacity to sue, the ability to open the door and get into the courthouse. So this raises the question, who and what has standing to sue? The answer is legal persons have standing. Um, but to understand the word persons, we don't think about it the way we use it in everyday life. So in everyday life, a person is uh, a human individual like you and I, but in the legal sense, a person is something incredibly different. Uh, in the legal sense, for purposes of standing, a legal, a legal person is an individual like you and I, but it also includes other entities like corporations, like limited liability companies, like trusts, even municipalities. So in the legal context, a person has been stretched broadly to expand beyond just individuals, but not broadly enough to include animals. Now, I did read somewhere that there was some kind of advancement on this issue regarding an elephant and the Non-Human Rights Project, 
which along with you and Animal Legal Defense Fund, we have these organizations. We have Advancing Law for Animals. We have the Animal Legal Defense Fund. We have the Non-Human Rights Project, all with teams of lawyers who are dedicated to advancing law for animals. Not to mention the fact that PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, has 19 lawyers on its staff, and other organizations like Mercy for Animals do as well have a lot of lawyers. So tell me about this latest victory. Well, the Non-Human Rights Project recently had a very exciting victory uh, (laughs) involving a habeas petition on behalf of an elephant named Happy. So a habeas petition is a legal procedure wherein a detainee may go before the court and challenge his or her detention. So in this case, the Non-Human Rights Project brought a habeas petition on behalf of Happy, who is an elephant imprisoned in the Bronx Zoo, I believe. Uh, And so what happened there is the judge issued an order to show cause, which means the judge has set a date for oral argument uh, to decide whether Happy should be immediately released from imprisonment. And so I, like everyone, um, will be very excited to see uh, what happens there. You know, and, and I have to say that usually these habeas corpus cases have concerned primates because we share so much DNA with chimpanzees. And that's one of the reasons why the NIH, the National Institutes for Health and others have backed off on some primates, although they use a lot of monkeys. They use a lot of, they kidnap them. I mean, there are companies that kidnap them from islands like Mauritius and then ship them in boxes to places like Florida and then truck them to D.C. or other areas where they are tortured in the name of fake science because it really isn't advancing science. We don't have tails when they torture these animals in you know, basic experiments, just curiosity experiments. Let's see what happens when we do this horrible thing to an animal or that horrible thing to an animal. Um, it doesn't advance science because it's junk science uh, because we are not animals in that sense. Humans are animals, but we're, we don't share a lot of um, their physiology. We don't have tails. We don't have snouts. We don't have paws. And um, so many drugs that have been tested on animals and cleared then turn out not to be good for humans because it reacts differently. Just think about your dogs and your cats. You know, uh, even the medicines you go to the vet, the dogs and the cats take different medicine. They're, they're that different. So they're going to torture animals and think that it's going to help us. Nonsense. But these animals are trapped in these laboratories. And let me tell you, the government and these uh, torturers, they fight like hell to keep any cameras from recording or any information from getting out about these experiments. I'll give you an example. PETA got a Freedom of Information Act request. They put in a Freedom of Information Act request for maternal deprivation experiments that were being done on baby monkeys, baby primates. The government, everybody fought like hell to not give them that video because they had videotaped those experiments. Why? Because they knew the second people saw this junk, I can't even say what it is, this torture, um, that the whole world would be outraged. They've been doing this for years, for decades, taking baby primates, separating them from their mothers, sedating the mothers, then then putting the babies back in, scaring the babies with masks and fake snakes and all sorts of 
things like scaring, terrifying these animals, and then watching the little baby try to wake mommy up, but she can't wake mommy up because mommy's sedated. And they're laughing at times. And, and it was pure sadism. I saw it with my own eyes. Well, PETA won the battle to get that Freedom of Information Act uh, request granted. They showed the video to the world, and those experiments were stopped. And those next generation of baby primates will not be tortured by, I think, people who are sociopathic, who have absolutely no empathy and just want money. Because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, let's see what happens when 50% of the animals we're torturing die. These are fake scientists. And I believe sociopaths. So that's why the law is important. So tell me where it stands on that front in terms of, you know, specific cases where we go in and we say this is garbage, garbage science. Well, as I've explained, uh, there are some impediments to bringing cases on behalf of animals uh, because animals are not considered legal persons. They don't have standing to sue. So our job as lawyers is to come up with these creative ways to still get into the courthouse on behalf of animals. And that can happen in a variety of ways. In the context of concentrated animal feeding operations, for example, uh, because those industrial facilities also emit pollutants, we're able to attack it from an environmental angle. Uh, For example, because animals are unfortunately considered property, we can uh, get litigation on their behalf uh, using other vehicles such as claims for breach of contract. Um, Really, the possibilities are endless when you get creative. You start going into how are products advertised, how does that interact with the unfair business law. So really, um, the point is, if we want to make progress in this area, we really need to be creative to get animals in the courthouse door. And our mission at Advancing Law for Animals is exactly that novel application of existing law, uh, because otherwise animals don't have a shot. Let me ask you this question. You know, there's a lot of controversy and legal, like, drama surrounding direct action everywhere. I'm a huge fan of direct action everywhere. They literally go into factory farms and sometimes slaughterhouses. They videotape, and when they see sick animals, they take them out. And now they're facing serious felony charges, some of them, for doing that. And the FBI even got involved because they took a couple of piglets and uh, they started, like, literally raiding sanctuaries. Now, when that came out, I believe it was the Washington Post or some major national paper, you know, people started saying, wait a second, we've got mass shooters running around killing people, we've got terrorist problems, and you're, you're raiding sanctuaries looking for piglets that were taken out of a factory farm? Are you kidding me? So that was kind of embarrassing for a law enforcement because they've got better things to do. You know, I'm a big fan of law enforcement. I covered crime for many years. I have studied in depth every horrific crime that you could possibly think of. And so I like the police. I want to be protected when I walk on the streets at night. I like the idea of safety. So I'm not knocking the police. But let me tell you something. Uh, The FBI has much more important work to do than chasing around trying to find a couple of piglets that were sick, uh, according to DXE, and they documented some pretty horrific footage. 
and they took them out. I mean, it seems what I'm getting to, and by the way, any company involved in any of that litigation or criminal cases is invited on chain on chain anytime. I would love to talk to them. But what I'm getting at is that the law should be a force for good. The law should be there to stop suffering. The law should be there to stop unnecessary killing and death. And it seems like the law is there to protect corporations that are killing these animals. Now, I don't blame the corporations. It's a consumer issue. It boils down to the consumer. People who order bacon, ham, turkey, chicken, wings, like thinking they're just wings that fell from the sky when they were ripped from the body of an animal who wanted to live just as much as you or I, those are the real people responsible. You know, the consumer orders the hit. And you know, as a lawyer, in criminal cases involving humans, if you pick up the phone and you order the hit, you're just as guilty as the person who slit the victim's throat. You will go to jail for murder if you order a hit. Uh, and, and additional charges like criminal conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera. So my question to you is, how are we going to get law enforcement, the courts, uh, the judges, and the police to flip and A, start enforcing laws, the few paltry laws that do exist for factory farm animals on the books, and B, um, also defend people who are trying to speak up for tortured animals as opposed to prosecuting them. You know, Jane, you bring up so many great points, and I, I have a few thoughts. I hear what you're saying uh, when you ask, why isn't the law enforced for the benefit of, for example, farmed animals? And the truth of the matter is, humans write the law. These are the laws of our culture and our society. So our laws reflect our own cognitive dissonance. That means the legislation affects the our, the legislation reflects our speciesism. It means although judges are neutral arbiters, they too hear cases and decipher the meaning of words within a very specific cultural context. So moving forward, what does that mean for us? Well, of course that means we need to use existing laws in novel ways, but it also means that as we continue to evolve as a society, we're gonna see an evolution in the kinds of laws that we have, and we're gonna see an evolution in the way that those laws are interpreted. And you know, um, when you're wondering why is the FBI expending all of these resources on a hunt for sick animals who aren't commercially viable. To me, it's upsetting and it's sick, but it's also great news. Why, what does that mean? It means that animal agriculture is viewing this movement as a threat. Uh, it means that animal agriculture is getting uh, defensive. It means that the voice of these activists are being heard such that this absurd amount of resources is being poured into a hunt for animals that can't even be sold for a profit. So to me, this means animal agriculture is starting to tremble. And we see this elsewhere. 
Right now, Advancing Law for Animals is preparing its comment for the FDA because, believe it or not, the FDA is requesting uh, really kind of funny information right now. The FDA is requesting information on how consumers understand plant-based labels specifically in dairy counterparts. What does that mean? It means the FDA is asking, what does a consumer think he or she is buying when he or she buys almond milk? Does a consumer understand that that's different from cow's milk? I mean, what a goofy question. Well, this happened in Europe, and I was just in Berlin where it's a hotbed of veganism, and there is... A, a vegan restaurant every on every street corner and they tried to shut down non-dairy milks from calling themselves milk in Europe and they succeeded but on the other side of the break I'm going to tell you why it backfired so uh, hang in there we're going to take a break on the radio but we're going to remain uh, on facebook.com slash Jane Velez Mitchell there are tons of comments coming in uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back. I'm here with the amazing Vanessa Shakib of Advancing Law for Animals, an organization that is taking like a rapid response team uh, approach uh, to a lot of the issues that come up 
very quickly. For example, suddenly the government announces a roundup of wild horses and they don't give anybody advance notice. How are we going to deal with that? Well, uh, Advancing Law for Animals has this rapid response team that they're developing. They might be able to move in and get an emergency temporary injunction at least so uh, that then they can file further paperwork to try to prevent these atrocities from happening uh, because animals do have no voice. Now, uh, a couple of things. One, I just want to mention Oprah is the reason I went vegan because uh, there was a guy named Howard Lyman, still is, one of my heroes. He was a fourth-generation cattle rancher. He got very sick. He was going into surgery. He said, God, if you get me out of this operation, I'm going to reveal the horrors of my industry. He wow. survived. He wrote a book called Mad Cowboy. He went on Oprah, and he revealed some of the horrors. And she said, famously, that just stopped me cold from eating another burger. That comment got her sued by the Cattlemen's Association. She had to move her trial down to Texas. She won. And Howard Lyman became uh, a cause celeb. And I was just a, a local news anchor who happened to be vegetarian. Uh, this is about two decades ago, 22 years ago. And I was uh, working at a local station here, and I interviewed him. And afterwards, he comes up to me with his publicist, and he says, I hear you're a vegetarian. I said, yes. He said, do you eat dairy? And I kind of hung my head. And I said, yes, because he had just told me about the horrible things that they do to these separating the mother and the baby cows and raping the mother cows and, you know, then they sent them off to hamburgers and replaced to replace them with their own daughters and just, you know, just the stuff of nightmares. And he, he and his publicist looked at me and they said, liquid meat. They pointed their finger right at my nose and I went vegan. I never touched dairy after wow. that. And you know, about a month and a half afterwards, somebody put cheese accidentally in my salad and I tasted it and I spat it out. My taste buds had cleared up and I did not, uh, like it anymore. Food that I thought was delicious a month early was revolting to me. That's what happens. That's why rehab is 28 days. It takes about 28 days to change those taste buds. So give yourself a chance because, you know, for all the law that we're talking about now, the one thing that would really save these animals' lives beyond law or anything is people just stop eating them, stop wearing them. That's the two things that would change, save more animals' lives. I have conversations with people all the time. Just the other day, guy says to me, I'm an animal lover. I love animals, but I love my steak, man. I love my steak. I'm never giving up my steak. And so I'm thinking about, you talked about cognitive dissonance. Those two are mutually exclusive, okay? I love this dog. I'm not killing Rico. I'm not slitting Rico's throat. I'm sorry, Rico. I don't think you want to hear this, but I think you're napping anyway, so that's good. Uh, but I would, you know, if I if I did that, then that's not love. So there's a, a lie. People are telling themselves a lie. Love is an action, and the action is not killing or torturing. But I will say, Jane, we are seeing a proliferation in plant-based foods, and of course, uh, it's our vegan friends buying those products. But even more so, responsible for the proliferation as our non-vegan friends incorporating more veg meals into their diets. Um, and we see the numbers reflect that trend. Plant-based milks have boomed 61% since 2012. We're seeing similar upticks in plant-based creamers, yogurts, cheeses, uh, and to circle back, um, the dairy industry is seeing this, uh, and it's it's desperate to cling on and remain relevant. And this is why the FDA 
is asking for more information to potentially prohibit the way that plant-based uh, milk products label themselves. So it's disheartening, but it's also showing us that we are making such progress. Yes, and I want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, I was in Berlin, which is uh, the world's top vegan city. Some say it's London, but I, I don't know. Maybe it is, but vegan, it's unbelievable. They have a vegan supermarket called Vegans. Anyway, Europe did pass, or at least Germany. I saw that you couldn't call almond milk, soy milk, hemp milk, rice milk, soy milk, um, almond milk, if I'd repeated, I'd probably, there's like a dozen plant-based milks. Um, you can't call it milk in Europe. They say soy drink, almond drink. Well, guess what? It didn't stop anybody from using right. it. When I was in Berlin, there's an incredible, one of my favorites is oat milk. And I don't know why it's not in big in the United States. I think it's going to be. It's called Oatly as a company. They had a campaign in Berlin that was literally entire buildings with the word Oatly, a very clever marketing campaign all over Berlin. You couldn't go into a restaurant and not get a, a, a plant-based milk, soy drink, almond drink, hemp drink, oat drink. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Uh, but when you see something like that, where the government, the U.S. government is trying to support the dairy industry by essentially making it harder to sell alternatives, you realize you're living in a corrupt system. They don't care about you. They don't care about the fact that that milk is packed with cholesterol and there's no cholesterol in uh, plant-based milks because animals produce cholesterol. They are run by the industry. We have an upside down world where uh, government institutions that are supposed to represent us are representing industries like the meat, dairy, pharmaceutical industry, the interior department, the USDA, the NIH. They're all infiltrated with people from business. Okay. That's why we're having problems. And so the law is super important because if the law is the law, then presumably you have to abide by the law. So how, what's happening with farm animal rights? That is my obsession. Why is it that you can castrate a pig without anesthesia? Why, you know, rip their gonads out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine they do this to pigs? I, I, that's got to stop. It really is horrifying, Jane, and I wish that I had a simple answer for you. Uh, the reason why these issues are incredibly complicated is because we are, we're working at multiple levels. At the top, we have the federal law and federal regulations. Each state has its own state laws regarding animals, uh, and then even still, there are laws at the local level. So there is certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. And so what that means is um, legal teams need to be creative in specific localities and what uh, they're able to do in those jurisdictions. And to that end, we are getting some help. Uh, we saw in California, we passed Proposition 12, which had certain minimum confinement a criteria based on square footage for certain kinds of animals. Um, but so that also, it's good news because voters 
uh, voted overwhelmingly for animals, uh, but it does highlight how what we're able to do varies state by state as farmed animals are treated differently state by state. Um, and I know I, I do I do understand your concern. How how is any farm animal able to be gilled? And again, um, our would you call it gilled? Killed? Excuse me. I oh, misspoke. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and um, I thought that was a word for ripping their gonads at gilding. Because I'll tell you why they make these nice words for really right. horrible things. Okay, horrible things they do. They give them. Well, just look at the idea of the word pork. You know, a, a pig is what you're eating when you're eating bacon, but they say bacon, they say pork, pulled pork. They don't want you to think about the fact that you're eating a carcass, and that's what you're eating. You are literally eating a carcass. Uh, so where do we go from here? One thing I want to ask you about is enforcement of Prop 12. You know, one of the criticisms of Prop 2, which I worked very hard to pass back in 2008, um, which uh, said that animals simply should have the room to turn around and lie down and spread their wings in California. And that was considered a big advance, but it wasn't really um, enforced. In other words, there weren't people going into these places and looking around saying, does this pig have uh, room to move around? Does this chicken have room to move around? So one of the big things about Prop 12, which I did, you know, we, we did cover a lot on Jane Unchained. We're a nonprofit, so we don't, uh, we just avoid political issues for the most part. We can put them out there, but we don't take sides and endorse political issues. I see. But we put them out as a nonprofit. But we put put a lot of um, stories out regarding it. My question, now that it's passed, is how is it going to be enforced? And is there a mechanism uh, on the table for doing that so that we can make sure that animals, uh, products that are sold in California are not um, – the subject of torture. But even as I say that, I'm thinking, how do you kill an animal who doesn't want to die? Jane, that's a great question. And so a lot of times compliance is dependent on information on the inside, of course, which is obtained by government required inspections. I believe Prop 12 itself does include penalties for violations. But at the end of the day, we don't know what's happening inside a slaughterhouse. We don't know what's happening inside a concentrated animal feeding operation. If there were glass walls, we'd all be vegan. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, we are limited in the information that we can get uh, in a closed off facility, which is why it's so important to um, fight laws like ag-gag laws, which chill the ability of undercover investigations. It's why it's so important to litigate FOIA cases or Public Record Act, Act requests because we need to make sure that we can have as much information as possible uh, when it relates to the care and treatment of animals. So where do we go from here? Um, we are seeing advances. We just heard some news about Brussels advancing animal rights in the court. Um, we're going to check that out. That was literally as we were here talking. Uh, we found that there's some advances in terms of this issue of habeas courses, uh, corpus for some animals. But um, wh what's the next big? What's the next big hurdle on the horizon? You know, um, for better or for worse, I wouldn't say there's one hurdle. Uh, I'd say there are many hurdles, and 
there's room for creativity and there's room for everyone to uh, employ their own strategy. We really do all need to work together. We have a caller, Shannon from Florida. What's your question or thought, Shannon? Hi, this is amazing information. I was just wondering, as far as the cosmetic companies that do not test their own products here in the United States or pay any company to do so for them, is there anything that we can do to go after places like China's regulations that do require those products to be tested and maybe not the company themselves are doing the testing, but someone is. Is there anything that we can do to go after those well, laws? Look, thank you so much, Anne, for raising an important issue. I think you're talking about the fact that California passed the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act. And in fact, uh, Social Compassion Legislation, which is an incredible organization, and Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine just had a party yesterday here in Los Angeles, which we went live at, where they celebrated that victory. And that basically says that cosmetics sold here in California, wherever they're made, cannot uh, be tested on animals uh, unless there is a regulatory requirement, which is essentially what some people would call a loophole that allows companies that want to sell to China. But it's still a huge advance, a huge advance, because California is the fifth largest economy in the world. They also have to show that they're using non-animal alternatives. So it's getting all these companies, many of which have no idea about non-animal alternatives, to get into the non-animal alternatives testing business, or at least contract with people who do that. And additionally, it really narrows the problem. We are going to clean house here in the United States and stop these barbaric tests. Now we have to focus on China, and it puts pressure on China to end that requirement. And as Exhibit A, Paul Mitchell, which is a great cruelty-free shampoo never tested on animals ever, which I have in my shower that I use for washing my hair and my conditioner and the, all the other goop and everything – they do not test on animals they never have, and they made a deal with China to get into China. It can be done. And this uh, Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act is a huge leap forward. In fact, there was a major company, I don't want to misstate the name, but just announced they're going 100% cruelty-free. You know, a lot of it is letting these companies know it's not cool anymore to test on animals. No, it's not something where you could say, oh, dermatologists test it and make it sound cool. No. People are waking up. It's um, torture, okay? You see the footage of they keep the rabbits like this and they put things that make you want to cringe in their eyes. It's torture and it's unnecessary. And cosmetics, my God, you know, I don't want any animal to suffer so I can put makeup on and I wear cruelty-free makeup. You wear cruelty-free makeup. I think, you know, we're, we're doing fine. Here we are. Okay, so it's it's completely unnecessary. And so um, I think that was uh, something that was really incredible. And um, let's not, you know, lose sight. Uh, what do they say? Don't don't uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Thank you. Yeah. Don't. let. OK, well, uh, I want to focus in on animal uh, advancing law for animals. I want to talk about your group. You work with Ryan Gordon, who's another incredible activist lawyer. What is your vision for your organization? 
Like I said, we're looking to apply existing laws in novel ways, but I'd really love to share with you, Jane, our latest rapid response victory uh, involving Cotton the Lamb, who was rescued from inside of a slaughterhouse. Um, regulations are designed such that when an animal goes in a slaughterhouse, an animal doesn't leave. Um, so the story of Cotton is so special to us. Uh, it's also incredibly special because we had a very short window to take action, uh, and that window was getting shorter. But to understand Cotton's story, you really need to understand the 4-H program. Um, Jane, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the 4-H program. Yes, I am, uh, sadly. Uh, so it's 4-H is a uh, youth development organization that started in the United States in the early 1900s to educate rural youth on agriculture. It's since expanded and reaches suburban and urban children uh, and exceeds agriculture, but it's always maintained its livestock component. 4-H itself stands for head, hands, health, and heart, but its livestock program for children is absolutely heartbreaking. And, and let me just say, we invite 4-H, any representative 4-H on anytime. We're not about just attacking organizations. We're really about looking at alternatives. Is it necessary in this day and age? Is it a good idea in this day and age uh, to encourage children to raise animals, uh, an animal, bond with that animal, fall in love with that mm -hmm. animal, and then say, okay, sorry, you know, Taffy or whatever the animal's been named, you're gonna go now, I'm gonna send you off to die. I mean, essentially, that's what happens. And so is that, correct me if I'm wrong. That's what happens. A yes. child is given an animal to care for daily. Uh, as you know, when you're with the same animal, loving that animal daily, uh, he or she becomes a special friend or even feels like a family member. Now imagine that little child at the conclusion of the program being forced to auction that friend, that family member off for slaughter. That's what the 4-H program does. The terminal auctions are notorious for something called the cry corner, where the children are just crying as this happens. So the background is the 4-H program, and this leads us into the story of Cotton. Uh, songwriter Diane Warren was walking, and she saw a little boy uh, walking a lamb. And of course, what a sight to see. Long story short, the little boy was involved in the 4-H program, and devastated that he'd have to give cotton up for slaughter and he asked Diane for her help. She was not able to uh, broker a deal uh, with his parents. Long story short, she ends up being the highest bidder for cotton at a terminal auction. Uh, but after she won the auction, uh, the fair would not release Cotton alive. The mm -hmm. fair said, no, you're only gonna get his dead body. He's off to slaughter. This fair took place on a Saturday. Our rapid response team got a call on Sunday. At that point, uh, we weren't sure as to where Cotton was headed or his timeline, but we received information uh, that he was en route to a slaughterhouse so Monday at 6 a.m., Cotton arrived at a slaughterhouse and advancing law for animals, 
appeared in court on an emergency basis seeking a temporary restraining order to prevent any harm to him, which the judge, in fact, granted. And so we got on the phone with the slaughterhouse. We had to say, you know, of course, we couldn't say, where's Cotton? We had to say, where's ID number 2129, right? Because Cotton isn't seen as an individual. Uh, But the long and the short of it is, uh, because of this court order, that uh, was really Cotton's lucky day. And he now lives in a private sanctuary with his girlfriend, Cookie. Uh, All his other farm friends who are also rescued, he has veterinary care and is able to live his life in full with all the love that he needs. That is one of the most beautiful stories I have ever heard. Um, I, I think what you did there is a miracle. And, you know, they say when you've saved one life, you've saved the world. Uh, and I just have to say that I would love to see other cottons. Yeah. And, um, I think traumatizing children, the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my life, one of the top five is that my parents gave my dog away one day. I came home from school. I was maybe nine or 10. Where's Mr. Monday? Oh, Mr. Monday's gone. Went to a farm. You know, it was, it was BS because we lived in midtown Manhattan. There was no farm that Mr. Monday went to. And even as a nine-year-old, I knew that there was a lie involved. And it shattered my life. That was my brother. You know, that was, he was my closest companion and um i was just totally shattered that's when i became an animal rights activist so maybe some of these kids because i know this is not a singular story uh renee king sonan of the rowdy girl sanctuary has been contacted by many 4-h kids and their parents saying please help us uh my child is devastated doesn't want to do this this is going to traumatize her or him psychologically for life just as i was traumatized psychologically for life uh, by my parents giving my dog away without telling me, uh, even if they had told me it would have been horrible, but at least I would have known where I've never ever found out whatever happened to him. But, uh, you know, this is something that I think is got to go the way of Woolworths and, uh, uh, people being put on stocks in the middle of the, of the street. I mean, this is not something we need today. We have an epidemic of violence in this country uh, where people are, you know, engaging in mass shootings. Why are we training kids to be okay with killing? It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. That's my personal feeling about it. Again, I invite 4-H on any time at all. We'd love to hear uh, their side of the story and actually dialogue with them. Um, that is extraordinary. Can you start doing that with more kids like that? Because they're all over the country. Thanks, Jane. It's Um, We are investigating the 4-H program in further detail. The facts of Cotton were rather unique as we didn't get involved after he was already purchased at the auction. Uh, But we're certainly investigating the program further and we are always committed to rapid response. Um, uh, We know that animals are abused every day and that includes the weekends. um, And that means emergencies happen and they're short notice. Wow. So I would urge everybody support uh, advancing law for animals. It's very simple. Advancinglawforanimals.org. You know, here's the thing. People love to give to uh, mainstream organizations. Very little donations go to animals in general. 
And then most of them go to uh, dog and cat related uh, organizations. Organizations that fight for the forgotten animals, the animals in labs, the animals in factory farms, they get a sliver, a tiny sliver of anything. They're grasping for air. So, you know, this Christmas, think about supporting advancinglawforanimals.org. It's a really good organization, and their rapid response team, as you saw, uh, just achieved this incredible success for cotton. I hope you got some publicity out of that. Uh, we'll be releasing our the story soon in detail. Great video clip, Visiting Cotton and His New Life. Yes, and hopefully you'll get some media coverage. You know, the media doesn't tell these stories. They have to be spectacular human stories for them to tell a story about animals. So this, if they even did cover it, they'd cover it as a story of this little boy, which is fine. I mean, you know, any port in a storm. But there are so many other stories that the media needs to be telling that they're not. And this is one of the reasons why people are brainwashed. People are brainwashed into assuming, well, you know, just got to eat meat. That's the way it is. Just like breathing. I got, I guess that's just the way it is. Okay. But it isn't. It isn't. Indeed, we're eating more meat than any culture in the history of humankind. It wasn't that way. You know, I have a little uh, magnet in my fridge. It says, Try organic food, or as your grandparents called it, food. I mean, it, it's humans did not eat meat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The only people who ate that way were kings, and that's why they got gout, the disease of kings. And we're all, the whole society is getting the disease of kings because we've got this thing called fast food. I mean, it's built into the freeways. When you're driving, you see five minutes five miles to the next fast food joint. The government is part of this conspiracy to get people to continue eating this food, which is getting the fast food restaurants rich and all sorts of other industries rich, but it's killing people. Our healthcare costs, the one or, uh, industry that should jump immediately on plant-based is the insurance industry. I mean, it's costing them a fortune because people are sick. You know, sick days, operations, surgeries. I mean, all of this is so expensive. It's crippling our healthcare system. We're not going to be able to afford all these sick people. It's the leading cause of climate change, arguably. If you want to give it the second leading cause, fine. Then you could say it's a second either way. People are talking about changing light bulbs when the, the thing that they need to do is right in front of them and they don't want to look at it. So I just want to applaud you. Thank you uh, for your incredible work, Advancing Law for Animals. Vanessa Shakib, you're getting a lot of kudos. And, of course, uh, watch us every Monday here on Voice America Influences. We want to thank Tacey Trump, who's our executive producer, as well as the entire team. I think we have A-Rod with us today at Voice America Influencers for letting us be a voice for these animals. And um, you can also check this out on iTunes. Please come back and please be part of the solution. Speak up for animals. Thanks Thank so you. much. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.